For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Hey everybody, this is Billy West from Futurama. Hi, how you doing? I hope you're doing lousy, because I'm doing lousy. And I don't want anybody to be happy if I'm not happy. Now get me a sandwich with maggots on it. Alright, this is Zeb Brannigan, you're listening to The Geek Show. And welcome to The Geek Show, The Geek Show Podcast Network's flagship podcast. We are a news miscellany, I would choose to describe us as, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff this week, so we'll, well, we probably won't speed up at all. We'll probably be just as rambling and discursive as ever. I'm Graham, and this week I've been joined by... Hello, it's me. I am Rob. It's Rob, guys. Rob's here. Yes, Hello. Hello, Feb. So no, you what? always you always catch me off guard when you do, when you do the today I've been joined by and I have to introduce myself a lot. Like, oh, what's my name? What's my name? <laughs> it's it's something you would think you would get used to after literally hundreds of podcasts. Do you know, do you know the disturbing thing is that's my usual thing when I'm out at a, at an event and I've got a microphone. I will walk <laughs> up to random people and say, "Hey, how are you doing? What's your name?" And you just see them freeze. You could see them listing names in there, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's not, you know, them freezing up. Maybe it's just that you have an unfortunate habit of meeting people in the witness protection program. That's a lot of people. It's it's a high crime area. Either that, or there's something very religious going on. <laughs> Depends which witness you're talking about. <laughs> So, yeah, after the This Is America video, you know, uh, Donald Glover, he's a Jehovah's Witness and possibly needs to go to the Witness Protection Program because I know a lot of people are angry about that video. Yes. <laughs> Is that a Witness Protection Program that specifically shields artists from hearing all of the bad think pieces they've generated? Because I can imagine he could use that as well. don't know. We might have to look into that. It's a business someone should get into. Not us, though. <laughs> Because we'd be really bad at it. Yeah, we'd just blab. Yeah. We'd be too excited to be meeting celebrities. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of celebrities, uh, somebody who is kind of a celebrity, mainly because he's very, very rich, Elon <laughs> Musk, right? Oh, dear God, not again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go Oh, on. yes, again, because this is, again, about the boring company. <laughs> oh, he's, is he just running this thing for the purposes of producing clickbait? I don't know. But first there was the flamethrower, then there was the life-size Lego. Or, or, or bricks, as they are more commonly known, yes. yes. Now, right, now remember, the Boring Company is basically a company that drills large tunnels through things, yeah? That's uh, theoretically, it, yes. That, well, theoretically. I mean, they do make flamethrowers and bricks, <laughs> as we've already established. <laughs> Elon Musk's Boring Company has been busy digging a giant tunnel under Los Angeles, as if it didn't have already 
enough problems because of all the fault lines under Los Angeles, right? This, it, <laughs> this is Lex Luthor stuff. I know. It's reportedly nearly done. This is where it deviates from the last Lex Luthor stuff. It takes a sharp left turn at the end of this, by the way. Um, mm. It's reportedly nearly done and ready for some human passengers. And Musk announced last Thursday that the company will be offering free rides to the public in a few months through his big tunnel. <laughs> I want to make an innuendo. I know it's my juicy to make an innuendo, but I'm actually kind of creeped out. I know. It's just some absolute serial killer stuff, isn't it? The world's richest man has possibly, I don't know, I haven't kept track, has built an enormous tunnel, which he is now offering free rides through. Can you imagine? And, he's got this. He's got that. Uh, what was it the you know the flat straw hat that they used to use for like barbershop quartets and that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's got one of those in his waistcoat. He's outside with a megaphone going, "Roll up, roll up, take a ride on my tunnel." <laughs> it's just, it, it, it's I, I, the only logical explanation. And bear with me on this because this might sound like I'm jumping to conclusions is that he has found a tunnel to the Elder Gods who live at the Earth's core, and he is sending people down to be human sacrifices. Are you saying Elon Musk built the cabin in the woods? Basically, yes. Yes. <laughs> if anyone would, he would. And the boring company is just a front. Actually, that kind of works. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're a boring company. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. Cool tunnels, but we're also quite dull. You know, uh, there's nothing, nothing of interest here. here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I can't think of other than do you want to come and see the new Lars von Trier film? I cannot think of anything less enticing than Elon Musk saying, would you like to take a free ride in this tunnel I've just dug? Kids go free. (laughs) (laughs) Kids go free on a free ride. It is quite a big step for Musk, isn't it? Because he has actually produced something. Normally, his wealth seems utterly non-dependent on actually producing a thing that people might use. See, I would disagree. I'd say he's produced a lot of nothing. I mean, it's a giant hole underground. (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) Maybe this is the only way he can finish a project, by having it be literally no thing. Hmm. Possibly. Anyway, um, shall we move on from the Boring Company? I'm sure the saga of the Boring Company will continue. I, I feel like it'll be back, yeah. yeah. It's going to end up like in Humans Watch on four panel, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to end, yeah, or the New Mutants. Yeah, well, the New Mutants is an ongoing thing. In Humans Watch was the uh, the section that just did not want to die, much like the TV series. <laughs> anyway, yes. uh, a recent study from University College London, my old mm. stomping ground, Assembled 72 overweight or obese men, aged between right. 18 and 32. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets funny for me, because <laughs> I am <laughs> overweight, so I, I started laughing at this point. All were given a muffin for breakfast before being set to work, right? Right. The researchers then compared the control group watching episodes of the TV sitcom Friends to two groups of gamers, one playing a non-violent game, FIFA 2013, and one playing a violent one. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Yeah? Right. Yep. After, after an hour, the volunteers were given a 25-minute rest and access to sweet and savoury snacks, including biscuits, chocolate, nuts, fruit, 
a sugary fizzy drink and water. Okay. Uh, the researchers measured heart rate and blood pressure throughout the experiment and asked survey questions at regular intervals. The team took oh. numerous steps to eliminate other influences, such as asking the volunteers to fast ahead of the experiment and discounting data from one volunteer who rocked up with a hangover, according to, <laughs> according to this article. That's the wording they've used, rocked up. Didn't, not turned up, but rocked up. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's kind of a more it's kind of a more theatrical version of turning up, I suppose. Um, yeah, the British medical journals have really gone downhill in recent years, haven't it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, what they found, right? There were two major findings from this study. The first was mm-hmm. that the gamers, as a whole, exhibited more stress than the TV group. Though interestingly, the Call of Duty players didn't express exhibit more stress than the FIFA players. Secondly, the Call of Duty players went on to actually consume more calories and saturated fat, despite no reported increase in appetite compared to the other two groups, which is basically them saying, playing violent video games makes you fat, or fatter <laughs> in this case. But, right, what I want to hear about is the control group watching Friends. Well, they... how, did, how did they know that didn't affect them? Well, this is the thing, they're watching Friends, which is kind of one of the most bland, vanilla things you can watch these days, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe they didn't go for the snacks so much because just watching Friends is enough to give you diabetes. Yeah. But that's that's just a challenge to even think about how they must have gone about setting that experiment up, isn't it? Yeah. So, let me get this straight. The the people playing Call of Duty ate more, but the people who were playing FIFA were more stressed. Yeah, they burned about the same amount of calories, but the people playing Call of Duty, for some reason, consumed more sugar and saturated fat after playing Call of Duty than the people who played FIFA. And the, the people who watch Friends... I don't think anyone cared about them. <laughs> They're still there now. Um, do you think this could be extrapolated, you know, to real-life battlefields? Will we be sending soldiers away with rations of candy floss now? Well, I'm sure that if they had sugary treats during, like, olden times, when everyone used to just, like, paint half the face blue and run at each other across the field... <laughs> I'm yeah. sure the side that had the sugary treats would have won more times than not. Which is ironic, as that form of warfare was probably closer to a football match than modern warfare. Yeah. I mean, I still think we should return to that form of warfare and have all of our leaders, all of our political leaders, right at the front. Yeah, this uh, it was around the time of the Iraq War that I started to wonder why we drifted away from that sort of Border Seer's chariot model. Uh, we really could stand to go for it again. Yeah, I mean, I liked it where, you know, uh, especially during like the Greek and Roman period, when, oh, well, the early Roman period, I should say, not the later mm. Roman period, um, but the Greek and early Roman period when your leader was basically at the front or near the front and he had like the shiniest armor and the shiniest hem- helmet so everybody could see who the leader was. Yeah. And I think it would offer valuable new perspective on our current leaders. I mean, there's no way that Gordon Brown would be considered a failed prime minister 
if he'd actually led an army into battle, where I suspect he would be a killing machine. Well, you know, for the leadership contest, if you put him and Blair in the ring, who would you yeah. put your money on? Well, exactly. In fact, any party leadership contest could be made more fun by this, couldn't it? Oh, God, never mind that. The general election. Who needs an election? Just get in the ring. Yes. It would be like the one way that the Liberal Democrats might have a fighting chance. Depends if Tim Farron's in charge. Farron looked like he would rip the throat out of a badger with his teeth. Yeah, but Farron also looked like he was the boy most likely to uh, hop around in a circle on one leg. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going quietly at the same thing, which is that every time you saw Tim Farron on television, you thought, how has he been allowed out without his parole officer? <laughs> yes. Anyway, 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 anyway. Leaving the politics aside, because we did drift in that. We did a bit. I suspect we may again, but we did there. It's actually kind of a good segue, because the government... Mm. <laughs> right? And I don't understand this, right? The, there are lots of ways to do age verification, especially yeah. when it comes to the internet, right? But the government wants to, wants to do like their own version of age verification for porn. Yeah. And so they wanted people to buy for £10 these pawn passes, effectively, which you... You've had, you've had a long think for the, like, broadcast safe yes. version for that, didn't you? Yeah, I think we were all thinking the same thing, but carry on. Yeah. And the worst part about this, right, or the strangest part about this, and I don't know why, right, the government mm. wants you to buy these things from your local news agents. <laughs> oh, God. No. Now, I feel sorry for the news agents because they have been, you know, for years they had to sell the, uh, you know, the uh, the Rudy magazines. Yeah. And just when they've managed to shake off that yoke of oppression, <laughs> becoming wholesome places to shop. This is like they are competing uh, with each other for, for the worst way to do this, because the previous version of this, if I can remember correctly, was that they actually outsourced the... on. They were going to have online verification, and they outsourced it to a company that runs several porn sites, thinking, yes, we, we'll give this company data about who watches porn what could possibly go wrong you know there can be no possible commercial interest that could make for conflict of interests here can you spell cambridge analytica i know it's it's like cambridge analytica but with everyone's onanism data that's horrible <laughs> but somehow it, it does sound like they've managed to come up with a worse idea than that well here's the here's the big problem right it's a news agent, and when you've got a small corner shop news agent, and mm. it's basically struggling to make ends meet, it's not averse to bending the rules a little bit and selling, you know, maybe cigarettes or alcohol to people who aren't quite at the right age. Yeah, and if they're already doing that, yeah, I just uh, I feel pity for them more than anything because I've 
you know, I visit my local news agents every now and then and I see the sort of people who congregate there and I, I don't want to think about any of them twanging it, to be honest, but <laughs> the hashies are going to have to. Oh, yeah. Leaving that to one side, I think you killed it with that. <laughs> uh, we'll swiftly move on to uh, the Angry River, which has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. <laughs> yes. Have you heard of this? The ang- No, I haven't. Right. The Angry River is a short but very interactive film okay. that uses eye-tracking technology and artificial intelligence to gauge who the viewer looks at and where their eyes linger most on screen. What it does then is the film then edits itself into one of five possible storylines to suit the viewer's interest. That's incredible. Yeah. It's basically a film with the interactivity of a multiple-ending video game. Only instead of a controller, you're just using your eyes. I can sort of see that having some applications for pawn companies as well, but we'll leave that to one side. Yeah, we don't have a pass for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The film is basically made possible because the filmmaker teamed up with uh, Crossbeat New York, which is a tech company that developed the eye-tracking technology and the machine learning that controls the storyline. And the movie was shot in Oregon, and then edited into five distinct narrative perspectives. So, you know the choose-your-own-adventure books that we exactly talked about Exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that. All right, it's uh, it's going to premiere online on May the 18th, and I suppose if you want to watch it with the full effect of it, you probably need something that does, like, eye-tracking. Yeah. But uh, it, the technology has piqued the interests of major film studios and tech companies, so... Uh, you know, we will keep you updated, keep the listeners updated on how this film does. I mean, it is only a short interactive film, but uh, just the possibilities for it. I'm very excited to find out about that. I mean, one thing that's making me think of is, you know, the test screenings that they have for films. Oh, God, yes. It, it, it's basically a film that does its own test screening while you're watching it. Yeah. That's quite incredible. Hmm. Well, not I only think... that, I mean, think about it. If you had uh, a movie with a massive ensemble cast like uh, Avengers Infinity War, yeah, and you wanted to know more about what other characters were doing during the film, yeah, you'd just focus on watching those characters during the film, and the, you know, if it picked up on that and showed you those that character's path through the story instead. I think you have found a tech story so remarkable that even I cannot be sarky about it. I think it's a magnificent idea. Yeah. I I can think of loads of characters who I would really want to know what's their backstory. What did they do during this time? Well, I'm already sort of looking at the trailers for Solo and thinking, can we have a just Donald Glover and Tandy Newton cut of this, please? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Anyway, um... Some robot news. Oh, I love robot news. Right. Boston Dynamics, the purveyors of everything that will eventually kill us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, the creators, I should say, developers. Um, Remember a while ago we were talking about uh, robots that did backflips and we talked about the Spot Mini, which is a a robot dog that can open doors and escape on its own, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The company founder, Mark Raybert, has announced that Boston Dynamics are planning to start selling the Spot Mini robots, and they're going to sell 100 for the first run. Yeah. But these will eventually become more and more commercially available. Uh, They're probably going to retail for a couple of tens of thousands of pounds, right? 
because the industri- industrial robots like Baxter uh, cost around $22,000 and Sony's consumer robot, Ibo, is mm. around $2,000. So it'll probably cost a bit more than Baxter because it is uh, more of a pet-type robot. Yeah. But it's highly possible then that in the near future, in the next couple of years, you know, people will be taking their Spot Mini out for a walk. Yeah, never say never. I, I always thought hoverboards were incredibly daft, but they caught on. Yeah. Well, I mean, you need the money to basically afford a Spot Mini, but the money that you pay for a Spot Mini, you know, you probably save in dog food and poop vines and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Although it does strike me that in, in giving it the ability to open doors and run away, you're basically giving it all of the characteristics of a dog that make owning a dog a pain in the hole. But then again, it would make the best guide dog. Yes, that's very true. Just program it with Google Maps. Yeah, never guide you wrong. You know, it would be that way. It would be man's technological best friend all the way up until the robot revolution. Yeah, when, when it would kill and eat our corpses, yeah. Well, no, it wouldn't eat us. It could be programmed to do that by then. I mean, given how out of touch most tech companies are, I can see them adding an eat humanity alive function without thinking about how it could be misused. No, I just reckon they'll basically do the typical thing where they give it such doggy-like traits it will basically kill us and then bury us in the back garden. <laughs> yes. There's a very loud dog barking next door. I don't know if you can hear that, but I think it senses the coming of the robots. Oh, we don't have to worry about the robots because there is a dog story for later on. Um, anyway, moving across, right, we're going, we're going to start uh, exploring the world. Uh, China. Yeah. Right. Chinese companies have, in order to raise productivity among the workforce... They basically started to take a leaf out of uh, various dystopian <laughs> sci-fi works. Oh, dear. And so Chinese companies are using special helmets to monitor their workers' brainwave activity in order to reduce stress, manipulate break times with the ultimate goal of increasing productivity. Right. I think one thing that would really increase stress in the workplace is knowing your employer is monitoring your brain waves. Yeah. I mean, it's basically Brazil, isn't it? It is basically Brazil, yeah. It's um, it's basically that slightly ropey episode of Doctor Who with Rhys Smith in where they created pods that meant workers never had to sleep. Yes, yes. It's that. Oh. Um, that's terrifying, really. And I'm just sort of thinking about that, uh, the Angry River. And thinking about how that technology could be used to uh, affect, well, I was going to say good effect, used to affect in Mm. the workplace that you could sense when your employee's eyes were sort of wandering off the task at hand. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? Mm. As usual, China have been doing things on an unprecedented scale. Yeah. Right? Uh, The Hangzhou-based state grid Zhejiang electric power right Mm. it's one of the many companies relying on employee brainwave monitoring according to chen jingzhou the official in charge of the emotional surveillance program right it has definitely paid off the company's forty thousand employees 
manage the power supply and distribution network to homes and businesses in the Hangzhou province. And this program has allowed them to do that to a much higher standard. I mean, if you can't trust someone who runs the emotional surveillance unit, who can you trust? (laughs) Maybe it sounds less horrifying in the original Mandarin. I don't know. I don't think it does. I think if you're in charge of emotional surveillance, there's something deeply wrong with your society. Yeah, you you probably should be emotionally surveilled yourself, really. Yeah. Also, I know many people who I would like to be, who I would like to send over, so that you can monitor them as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, these millennials always making it about their hashtag feels, eh? <laughs> exactly. They're all the to feels. Be emotionally surveilled now. Can you imagine if they went hashtag all the feels and it just went censored? <laughs> it's overloaded, the emotional surveillance unit. You can't feed that thing all the feels. It's only a prototype. Exactly. Ah, right. Um, I don't know how to explain the next story. That's quite a big handicap for the person who's reading it out. Well, it kind of... It, it threw me for a curve, right? I read, mm. I read it, and then I read it again, and then I read it a third time and thought, no. <laughs> uh, according to the Telegraph, right? Yeah. They did a recent report on the very first health optimization party service to hit the market in London. The yeah. bespoke package apparently costs £250 per person and caters to a maximum of eight guests. Just like in the case of a regular dinner party, they gather at the host's house, but instead of having a drink before dinner, they're actually forbidden from drinking or eating anything for a couple of hours, that's because they're going to have a blood test instead. What? Yeah. The headline is, getting blood tests at dinner parties could be the next big trend among health freaks. No, it couldn't! (laughs) I'm going to have to object to that. If somebody asked me over for a dinner party and said, uh, oh, by the way, don't uh, eat or drink anything beforehand. I'm not worried about spoiling your appetite. I'm just going to take your blood. Yeah. I would not go to that dinner party. Yep. (laughs) The people who set this up, are they vampires? No. Um, Are we sure? Well, here's the thing. You, You get your blood taken at the beginning, right? And then you have a nice dinner party, and then by the end of it, you'll get your results. That's the idea. (laughs) You have a nice dinner party with occasional fainting and vomiting. Yeah. This is kind of the idea of a London-based nutritional scientist and cordon bleu chef, Toro (laughs) Star. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they will treat guests to a three-course meal that allegedly consists of a seasonal starter, plenty of protein, and a healthy pudding. She will also give everyone a talk about nutrition and personal health, as well as a nutritional breakdown of the food on the menu. Which is all well and good, but still can't get past the fact that you're having your blood taken before you have dinner. It's, it's, what, what did you say there, Kyrgyz, were a cordon bleu chef and... She's a nutritional scientist and cordon bleu chef. It's okay to have two hobbies and not cross them over. I want to say that to this person. I, for example, 
love the Evil Dead trilogy and I love babysitting for my friends, but combining the two is actually quite a bad idea. Although... So is this. It's bad. I don't know why, but for some reason when you said babysitting your friends, right? Yeah. Um... That led... You thought I was actually babysitting my friends, weren't you? Yeah. I had a weird mental image of you just kind of, you know, putting uh, Rob and Mick to bed. <laughs> and singing them <laughs> nursery rhymes. a rides. grown adult man <laughs> yeah, exactly. sat on my knee in a nappy. <laughs> no, yeah. not that far. I didn't go that far. You did, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I think we've come up with a dinner party idea even more horrible than having your blood taken possibly <laughs> um yeah that that's I, I genuinely think the person who came up with that could benefit from some emotional surveillance yes yes they could uh anyway um you know uh, sometimes you have things that are just plain ridiculous uh yeah uh, every time i come on this show i'm reminded that that's a thing right um uh, so yes <laughs> moving on to Ridiculous things. Um, you can spend one thousand four hundred and fifty dollars on this, <laughs> Graham. Would you like to describe what is in front of you? Right, it's a jacket, right? But it's half a jacket. It has the full lapels of a jacket, but one side of it is missing, and there's also a pretty serious split where the shoulder meets the sleeve. It's a jacket that's been actively ravaged. Yes, it is part of the Unravel Project, which is a non-conformist luxury fashion brand created by the French designer Ben Taverniti. And yes. it's kind of taken the less is more idea to a different level <laughs> with a deconstructed blazer. It's so terrible that you know it's real. Is the best way I can describe it. You know, when you see something that's so rubbish, you think it even like an even less inspired Zoolander sequel than Zoolander 2 would blanch at this. Well, think um, in the fifth element, think Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Think of the kind of fashion that he would wear. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it's very, very sort of European science fiction film. Yeah. And, I literally cannot imagine any human being wearing it ever. I think the uh, model in this picture regrets wearing it as well. <laughs> he does. The The model in this picture, in as much as uh, you can see her, is a sort of wafy, Kiva Knightley type. And that, you know, that's fine. I think he should be forced to show how this looks on a middle-aged businessman before he can persuade us that it's a good idea. Yep. I want to see a big pink fella with like white hair all over his enormous beer gut rocking the deconstructed jacket. Now, I just want to ask you to do something for me, right? Mm-hmm. They're calling this a deconstructed blazer. Now, yeah. I would like you to Google the words deconstructed blazer and see what comes up. Hey, but these just look like jackets. Exactly. Who? This? I mean, oh no! There's, there's a cracking one. A Rick Owens deconstructed blazer. Let me see if I can find that one. Um, Rick Owens, you say? Rick Owens, yeah. It's just a jacket. Wait, this one actually has sleeves that look like their shirt sleeves sewn onto a blazer. 
Which is oh, hang on, yeah. I, is it the Grey Women's one? Or is it, is it the... Oh, no, that one's really weird. That one's like... That's like a kid's pyjamas. Yep. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. What is the purpose of that? Listeners, it has sleeves that are far too long and they sort of ruffle up like, as I say, the pyjamas you wear as a kid. It's for people who love blazers but think, I wish they weren't so smart. I wish they weren't so sleevey. Yeah, just just wear the jumper or something. What the hell's wrong with people? Fashion. I guarantee you that every single model I am looking at now would have their blood tested at a dinner party. Probably. Ah, uh, right. Anyway, we're going to leave the fashion and turn to the left because... Uh, <laughs> did you God. like my Bowie reference? <laughs> a Bowie reference is always going to go down well with me. Um, anyway, um, right. You know that people feel a bit... Some people feel a bit uncomfortable about drinking beer in public. Some people don't, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Me, um, I don't drink alcohol, but because of this, I probably could, right? Because there is a new thing called All Free, All Time. It's a zero-alcohol, zero-calorie beer that's completely colourless, right? Right. Completely clear. And it is designed to protect consumers from judgmental attention from bosses, co-workers, and clients at the workspace. Now, I would like to ask you a question, Graham. Go on. If it's zero alcohol, zero calorie beer <laughs> that's completely yes. colourless and yes. clear, why not just drink sparkling water or water? It it literally does just sound like water, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I'm kind of waiting for their uh, brand of non-alcoholic vodka to come out. That would be interesting. I mean, uh, this is uh, this is a Japanese idea. I have to, I have to say, and I'm not sure why they don't just drink water. I mean, it's a strange thing. I have noticed a rise in low alcohol or non-alcoholic beers around at the moment, and. I'm not sure why it's happening now, but it's probably, you know, laudable it's happening now. It's, you know, not a bad thing. But if I am at work and I am thinking, God, I need a beer, I am definitely not talking about a non-alcoholic drink. Yeah. There's only one reason why someone in the middle of a working day would want to drink beer. And it's, well, in my experience, it's because they're a junior doctor, but... Uh, without being stereotypical. Yeah, it's because they want something to numb the agony. Yep. <sighs> so, I know I'm rushing through these a little bit, but uh, there's a reason why. I put this next one because if this happened to you, you'd probably want to drink after it happened. <laughs> right. Right. You know debt recovery companies, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're a plague on people's existence that, mm-hmm. because they they're more often than not chase the wrong people or hound you after you've paid all your debts. Yeah? Yeah. Now, in Russia's Samara region... Oh, it's got good already. Right. The employees of Samara Utility Systems have come up with a new way to encourage people to pay their debts. Uh, It's kind of a strong-arm tactic, but it's more like the soft power that they use in politics. And it's kind of ingenious at the same time. They've been trying for a long time to get an unnamed resident of uh, Zubchaninovka village which is a name that you don't want to try and say if you're a little bit tipsy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's in Russia's Samara region. 
they've been trying to get him to pay his 50,000 ruble, which is about $810, uh, trying to pay this debt for unpaid water bills. And they've sent him several notifications. They've contacted him by phone. They've even sent people to reason with him in person. Nothing, right? Now, this guy has a beautiful house, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like a little mansion type thing. Yeah. So, what the employees of Samara Utility System did was they decided to put a debt pyramid in front of his house. (laughs) Right. Right. Now, the debt pyramid is basically a pyramid. It's a three-ton concrete pyramid. On on the sides of it are written, a debtor lives here, and on the other side says, you must pay your water bill. <laughs> and they put it right outside his house. <laughs> extraordinary. Now, I'm going to show you just how big this thing is, because it, it's, it's very, very noticeable when you see the people... With it. Yeah. As I said, this is a three-ton pyramid. Okay. It doesn't look three tons, does it? No, it doesn't. But they had to use, like, uh, cranes and stuff to lift it on. It, it's. I'm surprised at how modestly scaled it is. If you hadn't given me, you know, the information, I, I would say it looks like quite a lightweight little tent-type construction. Yeah. Um, the best thing about it, and this is why I said this is such a genius idea, it actually worked. Really? Yes. Wow. He paid his debt very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story in one of John Ronson's books, and I wish I could remember where it happened, in like ancient China or ancient Japan or somewhere, somewhere where there's a belief in reincarnation. The favoured tactic of debt collectors was to kill themselves in view of the debtor so that the guilt of not intervening would follow them around in their later lives. I think that's a good tactic. That could come back. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, we have a trio of animal stories to finish today. Oh, bless. The first one is, I'm still not sure how this works, but uh, an Oregon woman who allegedly left her horse outside during the winter without adequate care and shelter, causing it pain and suffering, is now being sued for more than $100,000 in damages by the horse. Yes! I was trying to predict where this story was going to end up all the way through that sentence, and you have hit exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah. It's the combination of Mr. Ed and witness for the prosecution you never knew you needed. But your honour. (laughs) (laughs) Crime is a crime, of course, of course. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, That's brilliant. And uh, who is representing? Is it anyone particularly noteworthy? Here's the thing. Right, even though it's not every day you hear about an animal taking a human to court, in Mm. states like Oregon, this sort of thing has been possible ever since 2014, when the Supreme Court in Oregon ruled that animals can be victims of crime and have legally protected rights. So, uh, in order for justice to proceed, the horse in this particular case is listed as a plaintiff in the legal action against its former owner, and just like with a human... It has a team of lawyers fighting on its behalf. Yes. 
And, you know, according to... Uh, the horse is uh, called Justice, by the way. And according to Justice's legal team... I mean, if you were going to... If you were going to piss off any horse, the last horse <laughs> you would piss off is one called Justice, right? Uh, according- a horse called... Justice sounds like a really great Western, though. Exactly. Uh, according to Justice's legal team at the Animal Legal Defense Fund in Portland, right. the eight-year-old horse has suffered a great deal of pain and suffering as a result of it, of its former owner's neglect and is entitled to a substantial amount of money that should go forward toward his current and future care and medical treatments. Now, I think it's magnificent that the horse is suing its former owner. My main concern is how much of the lawyer is going to take from this. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you want that horse to enjoy the funds that are coming its way. You want it to be able to buy loads of sugar lumps. Well, I'm sure if I'm sure if Justice was like any other human person, they would also want to put some money aside towards a fund to make sure this never happened to other horses. Yes, of course, but, you know, also for personal use. I mean, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> Hang on, Justice goes to Vegas and spends, <laughs> spends it on hookers and booze. <laughs> I'm just picturing him round the roulette tables now. <laughs> anyway. That's great. There, it, it was historically the case that animals could be tried for crimes against humans, but I, ha- I haven't heard about it happening the other way around. Yeah, but it's also historically the case that a cloud was actually tried for uh, blocking out the sun. Is that true? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's excellent. Yeah, uh, basically, I can't remember which king it was, but uh, he he got angry because it was a beautiful day, and then a cloud <laughs> covered the sun, and so he called the cloud a criminal and accused it. And it was sentenced to jail, right? It's... Oh, it was sentenced to death. And they killed the cloud. No, they didn't. I mean, Pratchett made a <laughs> Pratchett made a joke about it uh, in one of it in one of his books, um, how uh, he basically sentenced the cloud to death, and uh, uh, something like eighty-seven people died from stoning. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the cloud busting that Kate Bush was singing about. I don't know. Was she wearing a fake beard at the time? Probably is Kate Bush. You know what she's like. There's also a Life of Brian reference. Yes. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, actually, it matches with her name as well. <laughs> yeah, you, got, <laughs> you got me. You got me good, Grave. Yeah, that wasn't a beard. Um... <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, that's horrible. Anyway, I promised you another dog story, and here it is, right? Good, good. There is a dog in Colombia. Yeah. Right, and this dog in Colombia has decided to basically... Well, this dog in Colombia is very smart. Mm. A lot smarter than people would think, right? See, the dog started paying for biscuits with tree leaves after it saw students passing banknotes to a food stall attendant in exchange for tasty treats. So the dog picked up some tree leaves... Goes up, picks up tree leaves, goes to the counter, gives it to the attendant, and the attendant gives him a biscuit. Oh, you've melted my cold exterior. Yeah, and the dog. I mean, it's a it's a black dog. So the I mean, with it being Colombia, they've called it Negro. Mm. Well, you know, it's it's Spanish language. It's not so bad in the Spanish language. Exactly. Um, 
And students have apparently been buying the dog biscuits from an on-campus food stall for a while, but after seeing the humans hand out money in exchange for the treats, you know, the dog decided, yeah. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need to rely on humans. That's uh, that. That's both really cute and also has a powerful message about self-reliance. Yep. What if dog could both throw and fetch the stick? Yeah. Dog would be as a god. Well, this is the thing. Um, the dog has, because the owner of the stall took uh, the leaf as you know, uh, and gave him a cookie. He's taken that as acceptance that the leaf is fine as currency. <laughs> what what he hasn't foreseen is that the students are about to do exactly the same thing. I think for Negro, money literally does grow on trees. <laughs> Final story, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this one's kind of serious, but also a bit weird. Okay. okay. New York's highest court has denied an appeal by the Non-Human Rights Project uh, in its five-year-long struggle to free a pair of captive chimps in the state of New York, right? Now, yeah. the judges ruled 5-0 that the ruling uh, made by an intermediate appellate court back in 2017 would be upheld, which basically says that the chimps will stay in captivity. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets a little bit weird, right? What the Non-Human Rights Project is, is basically they're fighting for the rights of non-humans, obviously, in this case, the chimps. Yeah. And they wanted a writ of habeas corpus, or a right to bodily autonomy, which, if it had been upheld, would mean that the chimps would have been regarded as legal persons worthy of protections normally afforded to humans. Right. Right. But the, the highest court in New York has refused that, effectively saying chimps aren't people, but they're not happy about it. Right. Because what they're saying is the arguments that came up from the lower courts weren't all, you know, weren't all valid, weren't all thought through. So I'm not sure where this is going with this, but I sense that there's more to this story than we think. And my main concern is that there's some weird Project X kind of uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes <laughs> thing going on in the background. Yes. <laughs> Uh, maybe that is true. Um, but certainly, after this legal setback, I assume the non-human rights uh, project will be exploring all options regarding genetically modified super chimps. I mean, I don't know. I don't think these chimps are genetically modified. But if they go to the Supreme Court in America and say, "Look, you know, <laughs> yeah, we want we want human rights for chimps," like, hmm. I, I kind of, uh, it's not that I'm against animal rights, but, you know, human rights and animal rights are two very different things. Yeah, I don't know how far you can really extend human rights to things that aren't, you know, humans. See, uh, what was it? Uh, the right to life, liberty and property. Yes. The first that... two I'm fine with. It's the last one that I kind of, uh, I'm kind of like, okay, now, now you've hit a grey area. Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, would it be that the right to property could be used to sue, say, people destroying the rainforest? Well, I mean, if you think about tigers, for example, technically their property is a very large area. And who's going to argue with them? Yes. So every tiger is basically an old man with a shotgun telling people to get off its land. 
um yeah i'm not sure about the legal principle but i can definitely see a dreamworks animated film in that uh, (laughs) statement now we know why tony the tiger sold out (laughs) this is i hadn't heard this story but uh i am aware of the non-human rights project because the legendary documentarian D.A. Pennebacher co-directed a film called Unlocking the Cage about Stephen Wise. And yeah. I do recommend everyone watch that. I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about this, but it is a fascinating film. It is. Um, I, I mean, uh, I've heard about this film and I've seen mm. uh, I've seen a couple of clips of it and I've always wanted to sit, to sit down and watch it, but never had the time. But uh, I know a bit about the Non-Human Rights Project as well. And it was it's one of those things that it looks like a strange idea on the surface, but when you actually get drilled down into the ideology behind it, it's kind of magnificent. Yeah, it's, it's not easy to dismiss, I'll give it that. So yeah, um, I am going to be watching this story because I, I am positive this is not over. I mean, they've been fighting this for five years. Can you know, we play this show out with Enough About Human Rights by Moondog? I hope so. Yes, I would like that. I hope so. Um, anyway, yeah, that is the end of the show. So, uh, kind of a sad, but, uh, well, I, w- I don't know. Is it sad? It doesn't feel like the end. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, the Incredible Hulk music. You know it's not the end. The journey will continue. That's that's the, the most moving context I can think for the, for the Incredible Hulk. Yep. Anyway, um, that is the end of the show. All of our shows are available on our website or on Apple Podcasts or the podcast provider of your choice. Uh, you can uh, find all sorts of stuff on our website, thegeekshow.co.uk, including our shop and our Patreon. So either buy some of our lovely wares or, you know, donate to us direct. It helps us do more stuff. You can get mm-hmm. in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter. Just look for The Geek Show. Or you can email us, studio at thegeekshow.co.uk. Uh, until next time when we will have more interesting things from around the world I have been Rob I've been Graham and we have been The Geek Show we'll see you all later Enough about human rights What about pork What about pork What about tank What about mic What about For 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.